Heavenly Father, thank you just for this evening, bringing all these guys here tonight, um, and just to open up your word, to share our lives, um, as we get started in this new section of Isaiah, um, very oh, it's sort of overwhelming, just thinking of the section of how influential it is to the rest of the Bible, and to the life of Jesus, to the death of Jesus, to our hope for the future, to our present day. Um, just covers the entire span of God's history. Uh, so just be with us tonight. Um, pray that as, your, as we open up your word, your spirit will fall on us, that we will see you, get a glimpse of the ways in which Isaiah saw you in the temple. Um, and may we respond like he did. Mm. So just be with us tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited we have some new guys here tonight. Some do, old, I mean, you've been coming to church for a while and stuff, but I thought, um, go around and just, let's just say our names, so we just sort of get each other's names. We'll start with... Dale. Bill. Steve. Eric. Ruben. Steve. Charlie. Gil. Jeff. Peter. Travis. Zach. Chuck. Awesome. All right. Well, welcome, you guys. Um, so tonight, just a, a little overview for those of both who haven't been here for a while and for those of you who have been here for a while. Um, we're going to do something. Do Tonight's going to be a little bit of an overview because we are starting a whole new section of Isaiah. So what we have been doing is we've been going through Isaiah chapters 1 through 39, although really it's been like chapters 1 through 12 over like 22 weeks, and then we went from 13 to 39 in a week, <laughs> um, because those are a lot of oracles and everything. So um, we are now going to start in a very key, if not the key section of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 55. Um, and so tonight what I want to do is in part um, do an overview of that. So tonight will probably be, we did this like, at the very beginning of Isaiah, I went and showed some stuff with maps and the timeline. Um, we would do that once again tonight, and then we won't do it again. That's why you have the TV and all this technology. Both of you don't have all this set up here. Um, but I do want to sort of give an overview tonight as we get into Isaiah 40 through 55. Um, and we'll look at some passages tonight, but primarily sort of get an overview of what's going on. And um, then next week we will start actually in um, chapter 40. But one of the things that we've been doing is when we were going through Isaiah... Chapters 1 through 39, and really just um, starting in Isaiah, we started by looking at Isaiah chapter 6. Because Isaiah chapter 6, as we had learned then, is when Isaiah really is called to his ministry. It doesn't happen like in chapter 1, it happens in chapter 6. And he's called to his ministry um, with this encounter that he has, this transformative encounter where he actually literally is in the presence of God, like Moses was. Um, and Isaiah 6 ends up becoming, really, in essence, the key chapter and the key passages that really are for all of Isaiah, okay? Um, particularly um, the beginning of Isaiah 6, um, and then Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, which is really the judgment upon Israel, which is your, you have ears that God's given you, but you're not hearing what God's saying. You have eyes that God's giving you to see, but you're not seeing what God's doing. And you have understanding, you have reason, you've been given as humans the ability to 
understand and get another person um, and relate to another person. And yet Isaiah says, with God, you do not understand because your heart, heart's been hardened. Um, you're worshiping idols. And Isaiah, uh, God says this to Isaiah, to the people of Israel, but as we have talked about then, that passage becomes key throughout the, um, the rest of the Bible. So it becomes a key passage used by Jesus to talk about the people during that time. Um, it becomes a passage by the Apostle Paul speaking of the time he's doing. And I would say it's definitely a passage that's relevant today um, and will be, will be until Jesus comes again. So we looked at um, Isaiah 6. And Isaiah 6 was sort of like this passage. It was a controlling passage as we were starting to go through Isaiah. And then we looked at Isaiah 8. And if you look at the board over there, um, we were using a passage in Isaiah 8 as also another sort of controlling passage as we were going through some other parts of Isaiah. Um, We are, as we learned last week, there is a passage that we're using as, as one of the controlling passages as we are going to go through and understand what Isaiah 40 through 55 does. And that is what I've given you in this, on this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So does everyone have one of these? Who does not have one? Sure. Which you actually. Anybody not have one? Jeff had it, but he used it for something else. (laughs) All right. So what I want to do is just a review of this is who wants to, I want you to read this. Um, Who wants to read this um, to start us out with? So this is Isaiah 48. Sure, go ahead, Steve. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, to swear by the name of the Lord, and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. For they call themselves after the holy city, and state themselves in the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth, and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. Because I know that you're obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead brass, I declared them to you from of old, before they came to pass. I announced them to you, lest you should say, my, my idol did them, my carved image and my metal image commanded them. You have heard, now see all this, and will you not declare it? From this time forth I announce to you new things, hidden things that you have not known you are created now, not long ago. Before today, you have never heard of them. Did you say, Behold, I knew them. You have never heard, and you have never known. From of old, your ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously, and that from before birth you were called a rebel. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I refrain it for you, that I may not, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Okay. So, what was the word last week that we were focusing on in this passage? 
Shema. Shema. Okay. For those of you who weren't here last week, like Shema. <laughs> What's that? Um, what is Shema? What's the word mean? Here. Very good. Okay. Um, why don't you take one of those? Just pick one. Anyone? Take one. <coughs> All right, so we're going to just do a little exercise before we do an overview, um, because what, what did we learn last week about Shema, about the word here? Does anybody remember anything from last week who was here? It's two, just two words that are translated into English from the word Shema. Okay, and what are those two words? It's here and, um, like, declare. Uh, we thought it was declare. <laughs> All right. So let me ask this: What does the word what when when God says and this word Shema is used like well over a thousand times in the Old Testament? It's a very very popular. It's a word used a lot, and we learn that when God says here, mostly when we today someone comes up to him and says. Eric, are you hearing me? All right. We usually think of that in the sense of, is he hearing my voice? Okay. But in Scripture, when God says, hear, he doesn't just mean hear. He, and he, he, along with that, he assumes and expects that if you hear, you will obey. Okay. So the word Shema, when, you, when it is said... On the Old Testament, it is that you hear and you obey. All right. So is it a command? It is an it is a command. Okay. In fact, it would be in what's called the imperative sense in Greek. It is a command. When he says hear, that's a command to hear. The big judgment that God has on His people over and over again that we see in Isaiah six is that we are not hearing. <laughs> okay. It's like when someone says to you, "It's going in one ear and out the other." We're not really not only not hearing. But because we don't really hear, we're not, then we don't have the ability to obey. All right? So, in here, in here, <laughs> is the word hear, okay? And we see it several times, but there's another word that gets translated from Shema. So, Shema is not just a word hear in this passage, which also means obey, but it is also another, pa- another one which you go, announce. announce. Very good. All right? <laughs> So what I want you guys to do is just as a way to, you know, it's like to hear something and get it. A lot of times it's like we've got to, you know, see it. We've got to work with it. So I want you to highlight in here the word, all the words where Shema, the Hebrew word here, occurs. It occurs whenever you see the word here or the word Shema almost ironically, doesn't just mean to hear, it also is a word that means to announce something so others will hear. So if you look in here, there is, there should be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven places where you see either the word hear or announce. Okay? And see if you can find those and just highlight it. Hmm? How do you spell Shema? S-H-E-M-A. It's transliterated which we'll talk more about in just a second. Yeah, Shema, like S-H-E-M-A is how you would transliterate the Hebrew, which sounds like Shema. 
So see if you can find all of those. All right, did everyone get those? Everyone get seven? I think seven, right? That's what I said. One, two, three, four, six, seven. All right. Everyone get seven? No. But no? That's not unusual. Okay, so verse one here. Okay, verse three. The former things I declared to you, they went out from my mouth, and I announced. There's the second one, announced. What's the difference between declared and announced? Um, there are two different Hebrew words. <laughs> That's the best I could do right now. Um, they're probably similar. Um, that's a good question. Declared had more power and force. Possibly, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Yes, it's actually a good question. I, I mean, it goes back to what um, Peter was saying last week. He, I think, you thought it was declared. I thought it was the thing we also figured out is wherever it says declared, it's followed up with announced. Like almost in the yeah, same very good. So it's like par- it's parallel. Probably, yeah, probably parallel very much yeah. for how, yeah, good. All right, so we have in verse 3 announced. In verse 5, we have I announced. In verse 6, you have heard. And then also in verse 6, it says from this time forth, I announce to you new things. Verse 7, they are created now, not long ago, before today, you have never heard them. And then in verse 8, you have never heard. Okay, so there's all the different, uh, there's all the different forms of, of Shema, okay, in that passage there. Alright? Okay, then last week, just as a little exercise more in hearing, um, where, what, what did we say last week, or where is it, or what did the what did the Jews, the ancient Jews, do um, to remind themselves throughout the day 
that they are to be attentive, they are to hear Shema, what God has to say. What did we say last week about that? Where is that? That the, that the Jews do something, and they actually, Orthodox Jews still do this to this day. They say something multiple times a day. The Shema. The Shema. They say the Shema. They don't just say Shema. They say the Shema. <laughs> okay? Anybody, rem- anybody remember last week? So where is the Shema? Deuteronomy. Very good. Deuteronomy 6.4. Okay. So if you have a Bible, open up your Bible to Deuteronomy 6.4. If you don't have a Bible, I've got one. You need one? Or you got got Uh, your phone? Whether you use your phone, if anybody needs a Bible, I got one. So let me know. You don't? For practicing, you need one? Yeah. I didn't want to take it. I didn't make fun of me, did I? I'm doing better, Gil. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Pick one. And you what? There you go. <clears throat> it's always better when you can see it. Do you got your new CSV? I do. All right. <laughs> I'm loving it. Yeah. It's a good, a good version. Uh, all right. So Deuteronomy 6, 4... We're going to just do a little practice before we get started more in Isaiah. We're going to do a little practice on Shema, on hearing. So you notice on verse in Deuteronomy 6.4, this is what the Jews, again, Orthodox, would still say today. And I forget the times. It's like, do you know offhand, Jeff? I mean, it's like 6 o'clock in the morning. or I don't know if it's like 6, 9, 12, 3, 6. Or if it's like 6 o'clock, 12, anyway, they, several times a day, they will say the Shema, all right? And so if you notice in here, Isaiah 6, 4, this is, so it's called the Shema because they repeat this every day to remind themselves to hear, um, hear what God says. So it says, Shema says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Anybody recognize that? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And where do you recognize that from? Christ. First and the greatest commandment. Very good. Okay. So Jesus said this is the first and the greatest. And then the, what's the second commandment? Love one another. Second is like it. Love one another as yourself. Yeah. Well, love your neighbor, neighbor. neighbor as your, yourself. Which comes from? So it doesn't come from here. Where does it come from? Exodus. Somewhere on the mountain. Where? <laughs> Where did Jesus get it from? Yeah. What book in the Old Testament? Oh. This is come on. It's where you guys did your devotions. I know it's where you did your devotions this morning. You guys were seeped in this book, I'm sure, this morning. I'm sure many of you were just like... Numbers. Huh? Leviticus. Leviticus. I was going to say So Leviticus 19, I think it's 18... I don't, uh, this is where you have the second part, where it says, and love your neighbor yourself. And this is where Jesus pulled those two together and said, this summarizes the whole law. All right. So I was talking to Jason last week, and, um, at the end of our study last week, and he said, well, like, what does it sound like to say the Shema? All 
all right? Because even today, this is something the Israelites do. This is something the Jews do, is they say the Shema. What does that sound like in Hebrew? So I thought I'd give you guys a chance to hear that in Hebrew, okay? Um, Are you going to announce when you're going to start it? Am I going to announce? Knowing me with technology, um, no, it'll just happen. <laughs> That's why we have technology. Yeah. So, we're going to just do a little quick. We won't be doing this. We don't usually go and do anything with Hebrew, but we will tonight. Just to get ourselves understand a little bit more of how to hear. And Jeff's going to say it out because he has it by memory. Right, Jeff? If you ever want to have something, if you ever want to memorize something in Hebrew, this would be the thing to memorize. You go to Israel today and they still say this and they still use this Hebrew language is from the ancient Hebrews. And so, what do we know about Hebrew that's different than English? Besides, it just looks really funny. Right? Very good. Okay. Very good. So, you read Hebrew from the right to the left. Okay. So, this is Shema. Okay. So, it says... Where did it go? Okay. So, if you notice there... And you can see where we could put in the English words, all right? But you see, it says the very first word is here, Shema, all right? So all of you already know how to say the very first word, mm-hmm. okay, Shema, all right? And the second word sounds pretty much like you would think, Israel, is, okay? Shema, Israel, okay? Israel. Israel, all right? Israel. So I want to have you guys just sort of hear it. We're going to just listen to this. Um, in Hebrew, um, and if, again, if I get my technology right, it will work. Um, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, Bechol levavcha, Ubechol nafshecha, Ubechol meodecha. Okay, now slowly. Okay, there you go. Shema. Yisrael. Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Ve'ahavta Et Adonai Eloheicha Bechol levavcha uvechol nafshecha uvechol 
Chol Me-o-de-cha. Now a little bit faster. Shema. Yisrael. Adonai. Eloheinu. Adonai. Echad. Ve'ahavta. Et. Adonai. Eloheicha. Bechol. Levavcha. Your heart. Uvechol. Nafshecha. Soul. Uvechol. Meodecha. Okay, so just hear it fast now, one more time. Think. Maybe not. <laughs> Shema Israel. Here's another one. Here's another one. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta. Et Adonai Elohecha. Bechol. Levavcha. Uvachol. Nafshecha. Uvachol. Me'odecha. Shema Israel. Adonai Elohinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta, Et Adonai Elohecha, Bechol, Levavcha, Uvachol, Nafshecha, Uvachol, Me'odecha. There you guys go. So now you've heard... <laughs> that's that's what in gringo. Yeah, that's that's what Hebrew sounds like. And what's fascinating is the Hebrew language of, of pretty much any language we talked about last week is a language that today in Israel the language of Hebrew they speak is very very close to the ancient Hebrew. Of course, there's new words and everything, but they're picking up you know very much the same words. So what's a lot of times we talked about last week? If you learn a language. You might learn in, in the current time, but the, you don't really know the ancient language, mm-hmm. like Greek. People don't know Koine Greek. They don't really know how it was spoken. Today, we don't speak Koine Greek. But today, you go to Israel, you learn the ancient Hebrew. You actually are learning very much the Hebrew that they speak today. Um, so, has anybody been to Israel and hear them speak? Yeah, if you, I was thinking, going like that, you've heard them speak that. Have you learned, did you learn any Hebrew? A little bit. Yeah. The, the cool part is... I spent a lot of time on Arabic. Uh-huh. And it's like so close, 30 right? to 40% overlap. Yeah. So I'm not going to pretend I understand this well, right. but there's like a third that I'm tracking with. Yeah. That's cool. Good. That's Good. All right. So speaking of speaking of hearing Shema, I want you guys to, you remember when we looked, look at Deuteronomy 6 again. So when you look at Deuteronomy 6, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. So we see the word Lord there three times. And what have we learned about when we see the word Lord like that? Yahweh. What is different? Yahweh. 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 Okay? So whenever in your Old Testament you see the small caps with the Lord is always underneath it the Hebrew word Yahweh. But did you guys hear something different when you heard this read? 
They didn't mention it. You didn't hear Yahweh. Where is Yahweh in this? No. They're not not allowed. Right. So you notice, where is Yahweh? Notice this is Yahweh right here. Okay, Yohei-Vahe is the Hebrew letters Yahweh. But you notice that they don't say Yahweh. And why is that? It's like taboo. Right. If they... They say instead Adonai. So (laughs) the funny thing is, all this other stuff is correct to the Hebrew. All the other words. But when you see the word Yahweh, it is, which we translate Lord, it is said in Hebrew as Adonai when you're a Jew. And anybody ever know why that is? So it's part you just said, but why is it they don't say that? What are they... Do you know, Jeff, as to why they don't say that? Why they don't say the name. Why don't they, why don't they say the name? Like, reference? Well, they're afraid they're going... I mean, there's... Don't say the name, the, the words name, the words... You know, the, the commandment, don't say the name of the Lord in vain, right? Okay. Part of it has to go back to Moses and, you know, you couldn't even look at God or you'd melt. Right. And I think they believe that you don't even call God by his true name. That right. That is like, you just don't do it. It's like blasphemy or however you Well, and they're afraid of doing that, so they're making sure they don't. Yeah. However, I will say, nowhere in the Bible does it say, don't do that. No. It's just that they did that as a tradition. And you see how that tradition has come all the way to today and how they say the Shema, that even as the Shema, you would go, if you said, you know, Shema Israel Yahweh, they're like, you know, don't say that. (laughs) Okay. Which is silly. The reason he told them his name is so they would know his name. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So anyway, just a little practice there on hearing. (laughs) And you can hear the difference here. Um, both hearing in the sense of Shema and seeing with the Shema, but also seeing just, you know, little things like this that we pick up on, okay, as to why they're doing that. So, anyway, I just thought I'd do that as a little exercise. We don't mostly go yeah, into Hebrew, but um, Jason had asked if we could hear what that sh- what it sounds like in Hebrew, and there you go. Is um, there a command to do it a certain time every day? No. Or it's all up to the it's, it's a tradition again. So a lot of these are traditions that got built that is not, there's no command to say this every once in a while, but the Jews ended up putting those traditions on there to do that. Okay. Another good thing with us hearing between what has God actually really said versus what do we sort of add on with traditions. So they use Adonai. They use Adonai. Do they ever use Elohim? They do use Elohim. They use Adonai and Elohim. That's a broader... Elohim's fine because Elohim means... Whenever you see the word God in the Old Testament, whether you see the word God or gods, even the plural, it's always the word Elohim, which is the same. It's a plural word, so you have to know the context as to whether. So if they say, Lord, your God, they say Yahweh Elohim is how you see in Scripture. Um, But if you say, don't worship any other gods, it's also the same word Elohim. So it's just the way language works. Um, so, How yeah. about Adonai Yahweh? Yeah. 
Well, and Adonai is a Hebrew word. So Adonai is a Hebrew word. So, yeah. So, Greg, if it's not actually irreverent to say Yahweh, then why, like, in our Bibles, why doesn't it say Yahweh in our Bible now? Well, good question. So, the reason why we don't translate, and some, 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 um, some translations will actually translate it Yahweh. I have a translation that translates it Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it's because we're translating it into English. Mm-hmm. So we are choosing in English to make the word Lord, and that was just something we chose to do in the translation. And so pretty much everybody followed that. If you go back to the Geneva Bible back in 1600s, um, they they actually translate Jehovah because Jehovah is sort of Yahweh in Latin, which is a whole another thing too. So it's just being aware that we have these translations, and that's what we're seeing here. So we're not trying we're not reading our Bible to read the Hebrew. We're reading the English translation, and so we've chosen in English to translate it as Lord. But wouldn't it be almost so, good yes. to like use Yahweh instead? Because like if someone's name is like some name in Spanish, like there's some guy named Jose, is a Spanish name, like you're, you're going to call him that. And so some people do that a lot. Right. A lot of times you hear when people are reading this, they'll say, Hero Israel, Yahweh our God. Okay. Right. But again, you're choosing one thing to do Hebrew and another thing English, so you, valid, you can do that. Mm. Okay. Yeah, skill. Were, were you um, saying that uh, the name Yahweh is the same as Jehovah? Co- correct. It's correct. That's correct. So Jehovah is another way they translated, and I don't even quote me on this, but it was, it's sort of a, it came from sort of a transliteration, a Latin version of Yahweh, is my is understanding. like the Vulgate? The, the yeah, Vulgate? I think so, that all of a sudden Jehovah got put in there too, instead of Yahweh. So, Greg, yeah. um, in the Hebrew Bible, do they even write Yahweh? They won't even write it. They in do. Well, oh, they do. They do. But they don't say it. Right. And that's what's interesting, because notice here, this is, they wrote Yahweh. So that yo Hey vah are the consonant letters in Hebrew. They write it out, but they don't say it. Wow. So, yeah. So just an example of when we hear, so we just, I gave this as an example of hearing something a little bit more detail, paying attention and seeing how things like this come up. Sort of give us some more information to just... Interesting, because you guys might get asked, like, think of, like, with you, with Jason, with the youth or something, they're going, why is um, Lord in here in small caps, mm-hmm. you know? And there's a reason why. It's because when we're reading it, we always know when it's in small caps, underneath that is the personal name of God, Yahweh. So, yeah. 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 Okay. So interesting. All right. Okay, any other questions? Do you suppose that that taking the name of the Lord in vain would would mean taking the name Yahweh in emptiness? In in um, in other words, since we read it as swearing, but um, could it mean something else? Like. Yeah, we take his word swearing. I don't think that that's what it means back then, yeah. per se. But it means any way in which we do it in a... We use the word in what we call a swearing sense. 
I think that sense is the same type of thing that translates over. If you're doing something where, you know, you were to hit your hand or something, you know, as a Jew, and you were to say God's name in that or use it in some way, sort of today how people will use the name of Jesus or something in vain, it would be vacuum similar. <laughs> Isn't it that the word in vain, though, is literal, right? Like anything, <coughs> if you were to use his name in any way that's not glorifying to God, right? then it's glorifying yourself. Yeah, well, you're Somehow. just, yeah, <coughs> demeaning the character of God. Yeah, any right. expression. Right, exactly. Yeah. Because of the power behind it. Yeah, yeah. My, my daughter asked me, she's singing a song for a play that she's in. And in that song, it says, oh, thank God, several times. Oh. Right? Uh-huh. And she looked at me, she's like, do you think that's okay to say? And I was thinking, huh. probably not, right? Like, I mean, I just, I didn't make an issue of it, but I yeah. thought, that's part of what it is. Yeah. It's just yeah. using it in a way that's trite. Right. And it's, you know, right. reverence. And, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. You should tell her to change it a little bit. Yeah. All right, so, um, again, this passage here in Isaiah 48, going to where it talks about here, this house of Jacob, and what we just read there. Um, in fact, you see, it's actually interesting, they talk about the word swear in a different sense here. It says, here, Shema, this, O house of Israel, who are called by my name Israel, and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord. Okay, that's obviously a different sense of swear. Okay, but notice again, you see Lord there in small caps. So you know that's becoming the person name. So when you, people wonder like, why am I reading the Old Testament and it says Lord God? Okay, why does it say that? Well, now you know why, because Lord is a personal name. God is a generic what you are. It's like saying Greg is a man. Yeah. All right? Greg is my personal name. Man is who I am. I mean, who I am, you know, male. All right? It's the same type of thing. So when God says a lot of times, you see, Lord God, I don't know if it says that here, Lord God, it's saying, Yahweh Elohim. Mm-hmm. I am the only personal God that actually exists. Mm-hmm. Okay? So he's getting that across as you're reading that. Like, I am the only God. Everything, all the other gods, nothing. Okay, I'm the only one. Um, so we looked last week, and what we talked about, so just if you want to look at this again, just instead of on your Bible here. Um, notice it said, so it goes through and said, here at this house of Jacob, then in verse 2 it says, for they call themselves after the holy city, and stay themselves on the God of Israel. The Lord, Yahweh of hosts, is his name. And then, this is what Isaiah, through, I mean, God says to Isaiah, he says, the former things, God says, the former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth, I announced them, and then suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. What did we call that last week? Prophecy. Prophecy. Very good. Okay. <laughs> And notice what we talked about last week, that here, what Isaiah is referring to, or God's referring to through Isaiah, is he's really talking about chapters 1 through 39 in Isaiah. 
So for those of you who aren't here for 1 through 39, you get it all in one sentence, okay? Chapters 1 through 39, what did God do over and over again? And in fact, um, in chapters 13 through 39, we have this constant thing where God's giving these oracles saying this is going to happen. He announces it's going to happen. And then God makes it happen. Okay? And so we talked about last week. There it's, that's what it's called predictive prophecy. God predicts something's going to happen. And then he announces that he, then he makes it happen. And why did we learn last week? Why does God do that? To prove he's God. To, okay, exactly. <laughs> to prove that he's God. Okay? Um, so this is what he did over and over again. In fact, this actually, the former things of old go all the way back to Genesis 1. All these things that God prophesied that he would do, he's saying here in Isaiah at this point, he's saying all those things I've done, I am the one who announced it ahead of time, and I am the one who did it. It's kind of like in the Navy, they taught us how to give a speech. Uh You say, Tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them what you told them you're going to tell them, and then tell them what you told them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the kind of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And how does it say in here that God ends up making his prophecies happen? What word does he use to say how he does that? So he announces it ahead of time, and then he does it, but he doesn't just do it. He does it how? He suddenly did it. Suddenly. Boom. (laughs) All right? And why did we talk last week about why does God do things? It's like he's going to announce it, but then he does it suddenly. What do you think? Why why does he have to take credit for it? Excellent, Gil. All right? So we cannot take credit for it. We can't say we knew that. So the idols can't be involved. Right. And the idols are us, (laughs) in essence. Okay? And wanted to give us the glory of that. So God promises things so we will trust him. But then God just will like do it. Just suddenly do something. It's kind of a way of disarming man. Yes. Very good. Very much. So I wonder, can you guys think of something where God... You felt either God speak to you in the past or he promised something or you read his word and you knew this is the way God is and you just sort of kept with that and had faith in it and then God suddenly did something in your life that just completely surprised you that you were not expecting but you do God did it. Anybody think of any examples of where you where, where does that happen in your life where something suddenly God does what you felt he was either promising or you knew he wanted you to do or you were faithful in something and then God came in and suddenly did something to say, I am God in your life. Not you. You didn't do it. I did it. Steve, were you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. you have an example of that? I, you know, I, I bought a fleet car one time. Did I tell you that story? Maybe. So there was just, it was just a, a car to, to be used. And uh, I went to, like, this fleet car broker guy. My family, you know, we deal with cars. And so it was just this this Ford Taurus car. And I, I walked in and I talked to the guy. I need this white car. 
and find I've got four of them. They're all the same. Okay, I picked this one. And uh, I had an envelope in my pocket that I had not opened that was a, a tax return from the IRS from April. Uh-huh. And, I, and I, I said, you know, I'm going to take this and apply it to just buying this car today. He said, that's fine. And so he's writing up the paperwork and, uh, you know, does the paperwork real quick. And uh, I opened the envelope for the very first time. I looked at it and I said, what is, uh, what is the amount that you need? And he said, it was, you know, this fleet car. And $9,361.59. I opened up the envelope. Oh. It was exactly the same. Wow. To the cent. <laughs> and I looked at that, and I had kind of like a reaction. My head went sideways. And I said, I think, and I didn't know the man personally. He was a car, fleet car broker guy. He just deals with these plain Jane cars. And I said, look at this. I brought, you know, I brought him into it because I was shocked. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and it was from the Department of Treasury. <laughs> I said, that's, is, he said, that's the same. And we looked at it. It was a number he just wrote on, on the document. Wow. And so that was just kind of puzzling to me. And I said, Father, you are like so funny. That's just like Yeah. And I said, I he said, someone wants you to buy this car. Huh. That's pretty cool. I said, Our God in heaven is talking today. I mean, that's all I had to say. Wow. Got your name on it. There, so it wasn't like it, it was you know, it was just a car that was used in a in a business. That's all it was. It was just this plain Jane thing, a used car. It was nine thousand six hundred thirty-one dollars and fifty-nine cents. Mm-hmm. I, I have it a little off, but it was very close yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah. And it was a nineteen ninety-six four-door white Ford Taurus business sedan. So, what did you, what did that do for you as far as your faith in God, or as far as your I had just asked him. I said, you know, kind of need the da-da-da. Can you just kind of get involved and make sure my head's straight? And uh, I think that envelope had been sitting for three weeks in a pile of mail or whatever. And I just, you know, I said, I need to get this done. Here's the envelope. And it was just the same number. To the cent. And I mean, I'm saying that out loud. That I I am not... uh, uh, stretching it or exaggerating it. It was exactly the same. And I just didn't really, you know, it was just puzzling to me (laughs) why he was doing that. And, um... He did it suddenly, didn't he? Yeah, (laughs) he did it suddenly. (laughs) That was a dumb example, suddenly. Yeah. How about anybody else? You have another example of something? Yeah, Peter. I've I've done it a few times where I will fast for three days, pray for something very specific. God, for an answer for something, for him to come through. Uh-huh. Kind of like, you know, Hezekiah, when he was praying, when, when, when the troops were outside. Right. You know, some situations were dire. Other situations were like, you know, not so much as I needed an answer and I wanted to honor God. Right. But every single time on the third day, he would give me a very clear answer. Maybe it was like very still, small voice. But I knew exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. And even even out of something like ambiguous, right? It was like 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 one of the last times was um, when like the Lord wanted us to buy out our business partners, 
but they refused to even entertain an offer. And, um, and then, so, finally I get to fasting and praying. On the third day, I'm at church, after church. I feel like the Lord said, go up and get prayer from the pastor and his son. It's like, what am I going to do? Get corral them and tell them to pray for me? <laughs> so I go up to one, and then the other comes over, and they start praying for me, and I just say, I'm looking for an answer from God, something very specific. That's it. Can you pray for me? And they said some words, and I was like, okay, I know what I have to do. Huh. And then the next day, I did it. And then within 24 hours, they said, we're ready to sell. But like, how the two things went together, I have no yeah. idea. But you heard Shammad, yeah. you Shema, and you obeyed. Yes. And you did it. Huh. <clears throat> wow. Yeah. What about Eric, yeah. when you think you hear, is it fair to ask for confirmation before you act? What did A what what did Ahaz not do that we learn in Isaiah? He, didn't he never asked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Ask for whatever you wish. Ask. Yeah. I mean, I would say it absolutely. Okay. And now I think you have to be open that again when you ask, God might surprise you. <laughs> and you might not hear in the way you expect. Or it might take a while or something, right? I had so. an interesting thing along this line. <clears throat> I wanted a job with the airline, but there weren't any. Because mm-hmm. there were like 70,000 applications of other Vietnam pilots that all wanted the job and they didn't need that many pilots. So I was selling real estate in Laguna and I pulled up at a stoplight at Thalian Coast Highway and God spoke to me and said, I have an airline job for you. Mm. And I thought, maybe that's just wishful thinking. (laughs) So I drove home and uh, I talked to my wife. I said, you know, God just spoke to me. She says, yeah, he spoke to me too. I said, what did he say to you? And she said, he's got an airline job for you. And I thought, (laughs) you know, that's that's pretty good. So (laughs) so the next question is, how is that going to happen? And so um, I needed to go and... uh, get a, let's call it an ATP, Airline Transport Pilot License. It's a, the hardest license you can get. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I didn't have a lot of money, so I, I thought, okay, Lord, if you want me to do this, I'm going to need to make some sales to be able to pay for the license that I have to have to get the job. And I made like six real estate sales within a month. Hmm. And at that time, real estate was really booming, and I told the owner, I said, "Um, I'm going to leave. And he says, why? He says, because I'm going to get an airline job. He says, but you don't have one. I says, no, but it's coming. I just want you to know. So the best part of the whole thing was um, Congress was tightening the budget, and they did what was called a tactical air test where they – took the whole Navy Reserve air wing on the West Coast and put us on an active duty carrier for day and night operations. And a lot of us hadn't seen a carrier in 12, 14 years. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was is the chief pilot of Western Airlines was invited out as a guest. 
And when he stood on the platform at night watching the jets come in and land, he said, I want those guys to fly for Western Airlines. Uh-huh. So um, I got a call, and it was the secretary uh, at Western Airlines saying, we'd like you to come in next Wednesday at 8 o'clock for an interview uh, for potentially being hired. And so the word was out that anybody who was over 25 years old was toast. They would interview you, but they'd be nice and say, out of here because you're and, too and old. And how old like, were you? I was like 28. Okay. So I thought, oh, shoot. So I went, and I was really nervous. And uh, I was just sitting and praying, you know, and saying, you know, here I am, Lord. I'm being faithful. I'm, I'm following your direction. And uh, the secretary came out and said, uh, sorry, there was two or three of us. And they said, sorry, we have to delay this. Um, so just hang tight. So that went on for an hour and a half, a couple of hours. Finally, she came out, and she said, you know what? We're going to go ahead with the interview now. So we went in, and I went through the interview, and it was fairly straightforward. And I went home, and I got a call. And um, what happened was one of the interviewees was a Czech captain. And anybody over 24, you're automatically down. Mm-hmm. So what happened was he was on a, a trip in San Francisco, and San Francisco got fogged in. And so he was the one we were waiting for to come back to L.A. to be part of the interview. And he was fogged in in San Francisco. And what I learned was there was no fog any about two weeks before mm-hmm. and no fog two weeks after. <laughs> it was only that one day there was fog when I was going for an interview and I got the job. Wow. <clears throat> That's surprise. That's that's awesome. Wow. Yeah, Dale. Um, in 1978, there was a landslide in town, mm-hmm. and I was right in the middle of it. So I went through several years of having to rebuild a hill and then rebuild a house. Uh, during that time, I was an elder, and uh, so I was rebuilding my house, so that would have been probably 81, and um, a lady had given me a house to live in just outside the slide, so I only had to walk less than 100 yards to get to where I was building, so I would, I taught, so I would teach during the day, Uh, I'd actually get up at 4 in the morning to write out orders for other people to do during the day. And then I leave at six, get to school, prepare for class, and then teach. And the school district was letting me leave at 1.30. And I'd be back building by three. And then I would build until one of these situations occurred. Uh, I ran out of material. I got to a place where I didn't know what I was doing and needed help where the sun came up. (laughs) So there were days where I would teach all day, work all night, teach all day, work all night, or at least till three, and then I'd sleep a couple of days or a couple of hours. So that was what my life was like for a year and a half, or three years. Um, 
Marilyn would bring food to me to eat on the work site so I didn't have to go home. So one day she was doing something and I needed to go home. And at that time, our church was so small, my phone number was the phone number for the church. (laughs) So I walked in the house and the phone rang and I picked up the phone and they said, "Um, you've been wanting to buy our church and uh, we're ready to sell. I said, okay, I'll get a hold of the elders and tell them. Hung up. Leonard Brockman ran the sporting goods store in the middle of town, so I called him. And Leonard started back. He just started. He couldn't believe it. He started trying to tell me a story. I said, Leonard, I don't have time to listen to a story. I've got to go to work. So I hung up the phone and went back to work. What I didn't know that morning at an elder meeting that I didn't go to was they had the elder meeting, and the last guy said in his prayer, Lord, if you want us to have this church, have them call us today. <laughs> and here it is. And, here it and that is. was that day, and you just happened to be home. I just happened, the phone. And I never went home. Yeah. Wow. I just happened to be home. He called, said, we want to sell. That's about as long as the phone conversation was. And then I called Leonard. And Leonard just, he wanted to tell me about what Jeff had said in the elder meeting in the morning. Huh. Wow. <laughs> How about anybody else? Like examples of where you get Jeff? Yeah. I, I just have one where, you know, I was thinking about where he said suddenly. Where, yeah. Um, Think suddenly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember in an elder meeting, Steve Krantz gave me like a word where he said, don't let Jeff stay small. Right. And I like... Couldn't figure it out, and I like kind of frustratedly thought I don't know what to do with that, and I just kind of stashed it. And it was probably like a year and a half later, I was in a conversation with somebody else, and they were telling me, "I think God's calling you to do this," and I said, "I can't. My heart is too small." And I heard like God go, "That's what I'm talking about." <laughs> uh, and um, so, like, it hit you like. Yes, all of a sudden I was like jarred, but it was like God confirming something that he had planted so long ago that I had forgotten it, and then all of a sudden kind of like in the right time, right? And I thought, oh, it was confirming, it was a little bit convicting, right? But that sort of prophetic seed that was planted like came to fruition. And I remember thinking, oh, you're doing, this is something you've been doing. You've seen this. Yeah. Anyway, it's cool. And you're getting pretty big, and it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've got one kind of speaking to God's sense of humor a little bit. Um, It was years ago, I was living in San Diego, and heard a sermon on a Sunday about, like, leaving everything behind to to follow Jesus, wherever that might be, and Mm -hmm. prayed a prayer that night, like, whatever that looks like, you know, open a door, and I'm like, I'll follow whatever it might be, and that following Monday, got a call to come in, I had to come into our office, and... Uh, our CEO talked to me about making a big move. He's got a market open in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I was living in San Diego at the time, and he wants me to take it. And it was like, again, kind of God's humor of like, really, Milwaukee of all places? That's where I got to go to. But it was clear enough for me to say, I prayed last night that the door would open, and, and here it is. And, you know, and two weeks later, I was living there. I'd never been there before. And, wow. Uh, 
um, spent two years there, and it was like an incredible experience and formidable years for me and my faith. And um, and and prayers out there were to eventually come back home, and, and God brought me back here too. So. Yeah. Um, but when I look back on that, I just always laugh at like getting the call that Monday of like, Dang, that was quick. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. I guess that was summer. Yeah, like, winter in Wisconsin. So, uh, huh. Yeah. yeah. A lot cool. of us use the term coincidence for this. Uh huh. Oh wait, no. I we I'd just, like we just we don't refer to something that God is doing in our lives, yeah. but we say it's just a coincidence. Yeah. I like to call it God incidents. Well, a, a buddy of mine used to say a coincidence <laughs> is. Uh, it's not a an opportunity word. for God to work a small miracle in your life. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah Gil. Well, I think I told this last week, but I only told it very sh- in, in, in some ramifications have happened since then. But as the plenary event was going on, and I had a painting that I had started uh, in the Grays uh, out at um, Irvine Park. Mm-hmm. in the gray day and it just wasn't working so I went home at night and I started to work on it from uh, digital images but we're really supposed to do these things on location and I uh, I had images of that same tree a beautiful sycamore tree but I didn't feel comfortable doing it that way and so I said the next morning I, I got up I said I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and, and, and do this. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> on my way out, I said, I was out on my way on 133, I think, and I said, God, could I just have some sunlight? And I and then I said, and I think I said this last week, I started equivocating. I said, look, but if you can, and, and the thought came to me, y'all ask for what you want. Hmm. So I, um, I asked, I went out there, set up my stuff, sat down, and the sun came out. The sun came out for about a half hour. I was able to block in everything I needed, and then it went under again, and it never showed its face again mm. that day. That painting won a, a really nice award wow. and uh, has sold, but also um, um, was in the... Stu News, the woman who, who this is the, the recent development, the woman who who uh, interviewed me, because she interviewed all the award winners, uh-huh. um, said, do you have anything, in a story about this? And so I told her word for word. Huh. I, I said, you know, I, I didn't mint anything. I didn't, mm-hmm. I just told it just exactly as I just told it to you. Right. And she said, oh my goodness. And she printed it word for word. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, and that, you know, what God really <laughs> sets up these things, and and to say suddenly, it happened suddenly. Yeah. I was all confused and down, and I didn't know what I was going to do, and I asked, and it happened, and then all the concatenation of events came from that. It's, it's amazing how God works. Yeah. It's neat how, hearing these stories, too, about how, like, with your Steve, and, you know, just the ways in which that story ends up being used by you guys and sharing with other people or God here, the other people hear about, wow, like if the guy who probably saw the check and you said, that was like, no way could God have done that, you know, but he did it, you know? So yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, Chad. 
Oh, uh, like kind of just how God brought me here to church. Like I'd moved here at the Laguna, and I was looking like more of a community-based church, and I just felt that God like wanted me to be going to a different church than the one I was going to. And so, like a friend's dad somehow knew about this place. I don't even remember how. I think he like knew about Christmas lot. He's like, "Oh, we should check it out." And I was, mm-hmm. I felt like the Holy Spirit telling me, "Like, go check this church out. You need to go see it." Mm-hmm. And I was just like, eh, "I don't know, whatever." I don't know if I really want to do that. Um, and I don't know why. It was just like I had no reason to doubt. It. I just did. And so, like, that was, like, right when the whole, like, quarantine thing happened, when it was, like, there was no church. Um, so I, like, looked online a little bit, but then I came the first time we met on the beach. And, like, oh, that's right. God told me right away, like, this is where you need to go to church. This is where this is your new home. You need to be here. And I didn't really know, like, like I felt it, like, very, very strongly. I, I knew for sure he was telling me that. But then I started to doubt again. I'm like, oh, I don't really know, like, um, I hope this actually work out. And, like, there's really no reason for me to doubt. One of the things I was doubting is, like, I don't really know anyone here. And, like, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to get plugged in. And so I, I had to miss, like, a few weeks because of work, I think. Like, the very next time I was there, like, just as I was leaving, like, I was praying that God would, like, basically... Was that on the beach again? Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah, I was praying that God would, like, give me some assurance or, like, confirm that this is where he wanted to be. And, like, I was literally on my way out. And then Jason and Sarah came up to me. And Jason's like, hey, man, like, there's this men's Bible study. You need to come. Like, you should be there. It was very, like, direct. It wasn't like, I, I don't even know. That's, that's Jason. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't an invitation. Yeah. It, 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 was, it, it wasn't like, oh, maybe you should check this out. It would be nice. Like, yeah, you should definitely come. You need to be there. And so I went, like, the next day. And it was just, like, it was totally God just, like, confirming what he told me. Because, like, it was exactly what I needed. Thank you, Jason. Isn't it interesting how you have been used now? Yeah. It's just exploding. And your your passionate love for Christ and for this body is very obvious. Yeah. And I think you should know that because it's not easy to make transitions like that. Absolutely. What I love about hearing these stories, right. too, is, again, we start with the word Shema here, Right? You guys are hearing from God. I mean, you're you're asking like you know, Peter, you were talking about that. You know, ask you know, fasting, listening, trying to hear, and then God shows up. Yeah, Jason. Here, here, Hebrew, here. Define. You what? Define the Hebrew. What we did before you came in. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) You could. You did not. Shema. Because you were not here. <laughs> what so, did I say, everybody? Here means Shema, here and? To do. To do, obey. 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 Yeah, right. exactly. Obey. So, yeah. Which is a lot of times you listen to your stories and that's what you're doing. You're hearing God. He's surprising you. Okay. And you're obeying. So, so the, it just makes me think as we're saying this, are we hearing these stories or are we listening? Right? What, mm-hmm. is, there's a difference. Listen to the story. How many do we miss? Well, yeah, and that's. But you, yeah. if you're hearing it, right, you're taking right. that in and then applying it. Right. Yeah. Can I say another story? Really well, quick. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna move. So move it, yes, Steve. I'm gonna just oh, one I just more. Said just one more quick one. Yeah, go ahead. When I was in college, um, I was in a. Um, I was a science major, and I. 
was in a physical chemistry class, and it was just kicking me across the table. It was a tough class. And we took the midterm. I studied really hard for it, and I got the test back from the uh, professor, and I got, I needed a good grade in this class, mm -hmm. and um, I got a pretty good grade on the midterm. And, um, but I wanted to check it. He posed the answer key on the door outside of his office, so I went to check it against the answer key, and going down the answer key, and I'm going, I didn't get this grade. I, I got actually a bad grade on that test. And I knocked on his door. He happened to be in there, and I went in and showed him. I said, you know, this is the grade that I got in the test. It was graded by a graduate assistant. I said, but it's not right. I'm just looking at it, and he's going through it. And he goes, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. He said, well, I really, he goes, this is amazing that you came to me. And he said, I so appreciate your honesty. Um, he said, I can't imagine why you did that, but great, good on you. Mm -hmm. He marked the, the actual grade on the test, which was a bad grade. And he said, gave it back to me. So it was like pat on the back, but, you know, if that's what you got, that's what you got. Uh, so I'm walking back um, to my car, and I was pretty dejected. And um, and we didn't live that far from the campus, and so I didn't drive very often, but that day I happened to drive. I walk up to my car in the parking lot and go to open the door of my car, and there hanging over the handle of the car is a silver cross. And I didn't have any markings in my car that said I was a Christian. I didn't hmm. you know about their stickers. And I think it was just God saying, hear this, I'm announcing to you, that's how you live your life. Yeah. 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 Amen. Wow. All right. Okay. Well, I want to move on because so we get through this part here. Um, so notice that after he goes through and talks about what we just talked about, the God saying, hey, I, 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 Prophesize these things, I announce they're going to happen, then I do them suddenly. Alright? And so here, God in Isaiah, before Isaiah 40, he's really saying, here's all these things, I want you to go back, you should trust me. Because over and over again, I have done this, and I've done it suddenly, and you know it is only guy, God who could have done it. Alright? But what happens is, as we enter Isaiah 40, there's a shift that happens. Okay, and I want to show you why that shift happens. Because what it says in Isaiah 48 is if you look at it, it says in verse 6, it says, Now you have shamad, you have heard, now. So it's like he's saying, I've done all these things in this way before. Okay? But now something is going to change. All right? And he says, You have shamad. Just like you guys have all said how you've shabbat. Now see all this. And that word we talked about last would see all this is, it goes back uh, almost like to the difference Jason said with um, listening versus hearing. This is not just seeing, but this is, the word used here is the vision, like the vision that's used like when Isaiah got his vision before God. It's like that. It's like, don't just see, but now really see what God is doing. Okay? So you have heard, and now see this, and I will declare it to you. From this time forth, and this is an essence from Isaiah 40 going forward. From this time forth, I announce to you new things. Hidden things that you have not known. 
they are created now, not long ago. Before today, you have not heard of them, lest you should say, Behold, I knew them. You have never heard, you have never known, from an old ear has not been opened. For I knew that you would surely deal treacherously from that, from birth, you were called a rebel. So what God's saying here is that all that Isaiah has been prophesizing all during his time about all these things that, that God has done and has fulfilled. But now, starting at Isaiah 40, he is now going to do something new. He's going to announce to the people things they have no idea about. Not things that have happened in the past that are going to come forward. But now new things are going to happen. <clears throat> Okay, <coughs> that they're going to be surprised by, no, and in essence, coming attractions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, and that's what we get in Isaiah 40. It's sort of like you can imagine the people back then reading this and going, "What is he talking about? What are these new things that God's going to do?" And that anticipation of what they are. Well, part of the reason why that's so, in a sense, shocking that God does that comes to the timeline as to when Isaiah says this. And what is Isaiah talking about? Okay, so I want to just spend the last couple minutes, and this might be hard for some of you to see, so you can either get up and come closer if you want to, or, um... Is the end of the Dodger game? They won, (laughs) so we can stay. We can stay long now, okay. Um... So what I want to what I want to lay out here. In fact, I'm not going to go to the atlas here. I want to show you a timeline. Um, let me explain what we're dealing with here. It is, and this is hard to see, but I hopefully will sort of get the point. So this is around. This right here is. Let me go down. Yeah, let me go down to here. Okay. So, here is the time of Uzziah, mm-hmm. and if you remember, I remember, let's see if I do, I do, Isaiah starts his book, starts the entire book by saying, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amaz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Uzziah. alright, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. All right. So this is during the time of these kings that you have the beginning of Isaiah mm-hmm. and everything he's going to be talking about. What is the time of that? Well, we're at around 790 BC. 770 BC, you hit Ahaz. And what we were looking at, for all those of you who were here in Isaiah 1 through 39, um, particularly um, most of Isaiah 1 through 39, is you were dealing with. We were dealing a lot with what was going on with Ahaz. In fact, a lot of the prophecies and everything going on was because Ahaz was a king that was told through Isaiah, like, these things, you don't need to fear Assyria. And if we, it was Assyria that was coming down and was going to come over and take over Judah. All right? And Isaiah said to Ahaz, you don't need to fear this God. In fact, ask anything you want. But what does Ahaz the king do? He says, I got this handle. I don't need God, in essence. All right. And what you have through much of the first half of the book of Isaiah is because Ahaz said, I'm not going to hear God. I'm going to just hear myself. 
all right, you had all these uh, judgment to start coming upon. So basically God said, Ahaz, you don't need, even those huge nation of Assyria is going to come and swoop down. Just trust God. You don't need, you don't need to worry at all. Trust God and he will protect you. Ahaz decides not to, all right? And so, and so what ends up happening in here is because of that, both the prophecies God prophesied as to why Ahab didn't have to worry about them came true, but also judgment came upon Israel and, and Judah as part of that. So then what you end up having is you end up having, you know, this is around what, 730 or so, you end up having the next king, which is Hezekiah. And for those of you who read, and if you haven't read, I say go back and read Isaiah like 36 through 39. You now get this new king who has seen all the ways of Ahaz and how they weren't good. But you get this new king, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah seems really like a king who is going to listen to God. And in fact, he does. I won't give it all away, but if you go read back through it, he, he does listen to God. He trusts God. All right? He trusts God that he will be considered, you know, kept safe from the Syrians that were coming down on him. And through that trust, Hezekiah's life even gets extended like 15 years. Okay, he was going to die. He asks God. He hears God. Everything sounds great. Okay. But then, anybody remember what happens? So Hezekiah is following God. Everything's going good. We're getting to sort of the end here of Hezekiah's reign, but then what ends up happening? Anybody remember with Hezekiah? Did he start worshiping idols? No, he invites the the riches. Yeah, exactly. So Hezekiah ends up, was the Syrian. Showing the Syrians. It was the Babylonians, wasn't it? It was the Babylonians. Oh, it was the Babylonians, yeah. Okay, so he ends up showing... He right. showed the Babylonians. Yeah, that's right. He shows the Babylonians. Let me give you the grand tour. Yeah, yeah. so he ends up... Try, he ends up turning and looking at himself and saying, I'm going to puff myself up. I'm going to show them all my goods and everything. Now going against trusting God. Pride, well, he, right? didn't, he, he didn't realize that they were a threat because he didn't ask, he didn't ask, he didn't inquire of God if exactly. they were a threat or not. And he exactly. was like, hey. You know, so he looks like this good king. He gets to, he gets to the end. Yeah, exactly. And then what it says at the very end of Isaiah 39, before we get to Isaiah 40, it says, then Isaiah says to Hezekiah, when Hezekiah showed the house, did, did exactly what Peter just said. And Isaiah says to Hezekiah, Shema, <laughs> hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up to this day shall be carried to Babylon. Okay, so key into that. Saying that one time all the all this is going to be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Some of your own sons will come from you. Other kings that follow you, those sons who will come from you, um, who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah says to Isaiah, which is sort of irony here, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought. There will be peace and security in my days. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, exactly. All right. So what ends up happening is we are now at like 700 BC. All right. And what you, what ends up happening at this point 
is that look if you take a look here, look at where it shows the time frame of Isaiah. All right, it shows Isaiah. And this is like Isaiah's life, living until about six ninety, let's say six ninety seven hundred BC. Okay, so we're BC going to zero here to eighty. So this is this is Isaiah right here, his life. But what is what ends up happening is that after Isaiah dies you end up having all these other things that start coming about. So you end up having Assyria, who is then very quickly taken over by Babylon. Babylon, all right? And actually before Assyria is taken over by Babylon, Assyria comes down into northern Israel, into Israel, and takes a lot of the Israelites into exile, okay? And basically defeats northern Israel. All right, you still have Judah, though. Then Babylon very quickly comes into power. And they're like, these are these huge, like, empires. They just, like this, one day they're here and one day they're gone. So Babylon now comes in and takes over all this whole area. All right, and let's see if I get this right. If I get something wrong, you guys <laughs> tell me um, where you know. So what ends up happening is that Babylon comes in. Babylon then comes and takes over, all right, and ultimately, what, what does Babylon do through Nebuchadnezzar? Anybody know? Punches his eyes out. <laughs> yeah. Basically. So what does Babylon do, though, to Judah? What ends up happening with Babylon? Anybody know? Destroys it. Destroys what? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the exactly. Exactly. So that the takes all the, everything out of it. Yeah. So Babylon comes and finally comes in and defeats and takes over Judah and comes in and sieges the city of Jerusalem. Yeah. Comes in and just destroys the city of Jerusalem. And not only the city of Jerusalem, but 586, I think it is, B.C., destroys the temple. Yeah. All right, this is like the most sacred thing, obviously, for Yahweh. Okay, Lutzer. The very presence where he was is now completely destroyed by Babylon. All right. And Babylon then takes, primarily takes all the rich people, the kings, and, and everybody, and in, in particularly the rich people in, in Jerusalem, that area in Judah, and takes them off into Babylon, into a whole another country. That's the exile that ends up happening. All right. So now where you're at is you're now coming all the way into this period of time. Okay, because what ends up happening is that now you're like around, so 586, all right, around here is where you end up having um, the Babylonians take over the you know, temple and destroy Jerusalem, all right. Then you end up having someone come in and the entire empire changes again from the Babylonian empire to the Persian, Persian empire. He's, he's and who is the one that is ahead of the Persian Empire when that happens? Cyrus. Cyrus. <laughs> exactly. Cyrus now comes, and all these people have been exiled to Israel, I mean to Babylon. Mm -hmm. All these Ju um, Israelites and, and from Judah have been exiled to Babylon. Cyrus now comes to power in Persia, and the Persian Empire comes and just like that, takes over and defeats the Babylon 
Babylonian Empire. Okay. And then what does Cyrus do? Releases what Nehemiah and well, yeah. he lets him go back to Jerusalem. Right. So the big thing that, that that Cyrus does is he says, "I'm a guy who I respect. I very much a pluralistic type king. I respect all you guys and whatever religion you have. Awesome. I want to help you go and do and worship whatever God you want to worship. Okay. And starts then the return from exile." So the Jews can come back to Israel, mm-hmm. all right, and they ultimately do Nehemiah and Ezra rebuild the temple, all right. So here's a question: <laughs> When is when is Isaiah? What sorry? What time frame is Isaiah forty through fifty five? Say that again. What time frame does Isaiah forty through fifty five cover? It is speaking oh. to. What time period is it speaking to? Most of the times that yeah. I did not know. It's speaking to the time of when Cyrus, okay, and the Persian Empire, and speaking to them during the captivity of Bab- Babylon took them away during that time, and finally when Cyrus comes, because we're going to see Cyrus come in Isaiah, I think, 44 or so. Isaiah tells us about Cyrus. Yeah. But where's Isaiah? Well, <laughs> exactly. He's well dead. <laughs> He's in the grave. And a lot of people debate and say, well, who wrote this? Who what? Okay. I mean, we just read Isaiah 48. What God does through Isaiah is he announces to Isaiah, and Isaiah writes Isaiah 40 through 55 and 66, well ahead of when all these events are going to happen. It says a new thing is going to happen that you would never have seen before. And he's now, now you have the people in Babylon 150 years later who are being encouraged, okay, and admonished in Isaiah 40 to 55 to say, now this is the hope that God has given us, all right, and why these things are taking place. So when we're reading Isaiah 40 to 55, the audience of that is 150 years later mm-hmm. to the people in Babylon in that captivity and just being given hope that they're going to be able to come back from What's the chances that 150 years later they remember? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so that's what these well, new things are that yeah, are going on. Yeah. Okay. So that's why we're going to be, as we look at these things, we're looking at the new things and not just then, but as we're going to see... All right, and Jason's brought out, Peter, you brought out. I mean, one of the things we're going to see now as we read through is not just the hope for them, but that the hope for them spreads all the way to us and spreads all the way to the hope ultimately of a Savior who's going to come in and, and, and bring salvation to the world, which is obviously Jesus. Do that, all right? So, the, so as we end, I want to give you guys a little of a... Uh, idea of what we're going to be doing. This is sort of the outline of what we're going to be looking at in the next um, whatever period of time. Yeah. <laughs> it will be surprised to me. I have no idea how, how long. Okay, this is what happens. We've already gone through. So we're going to take a look at everything in Isaiah 40 through 66, and we're going to look at it through the lens of what Paul ultimately said, and we learned in Galatians, is that Paul said, "I am a one of Christ." Servant. I'm a servant or slave, actually, Dumas. Long all right. Dulos. Dumas. Dumas. Sorry, Dulos. Okay. 
And that is what Paul ultimately says is, I am a servant, a true servant of Christ. And really what we're going to look at is we look through Isaiah 40 through 55 to see how that's really the subject of what God wants to get across to us. Mm-hmm. Is how are we, how are they back then to be servants of God, of Yahweh? How are we today learn from that so we can be true servants Only of that Christ? And you have to start by hearing. <laughs> All right, Shema. So we're going to look at, if you take a look here, uh, we've already gone through 39, okay? We're going to be, as we're looking at 40 through 55, we're going to be looking at really what is, a, keeping always in mind, what is this idea of when we're supposed to be servants of Christ, what does that really mean in the eyes of what happened back then in time as Isaiah? And really looking at what's that vocation of how we become servants, the motive for how we're servants, the means for that, and the marks of that. And as we go through Isaiah, we're going to try to keep that focus through this whole thing. Is It's not just something that happened back then that's new, but what is God going to do new in us today to become even more, and I'll use the word, slaves of Christ, servants of Christ, servants of God. And we're going to see that this is a subject you see throughout Isaiah. Um, so what I would invite you guys to do as we end is, through this week, read Isaiah 40, chapter 40 through 41.6. Okay, so just read Isaiah 40 through 41.6. Um, and as you're reading that, think of, what is it you're seeing about who God is telling you he is in this? You know, who, who is God? Who are we um, in this? Think about that whole idea of how are we servants and are we to be servants of Christ? What do we need to know about God's character to trust him and do that? Um, and we will start looking at that next week as we get into Isaiah 40 next week.